Coming up on this episode of the Retirement Pathfinder, we got a special edition of the show for you today. We've actually pulled some of our favorite mailbag questions from past episodes that are still very relevant today and wanted to pull them all into this episode and share them with you. We'll be talking about some life insurance. We'll be talking about divorce and retirement. We'll be talking about passing along your assets to your kids and much more. So stay tuned. It's coming up on the Retirement Pathfinder. In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Welcome in. Glad to have you on the show today. As I mentioned, we have a special edition of the Retirement Pathfinder for you today. We're going to open up the mailbag, which we'll do in just a minute. Again, if you have questions for Barbara and Phil, we'd love to hear from you. Always appreciate the feedback we get here on the podcast. But you can call 815-399-9806 for any specific scenario you might have in mind that you want to talk through with Barbara and Phil and the team there at Pathfinder Wealth Management. But again, if you want to schedule a meeting too, the best place to start is pathfinderchat.com. You can pick out a time to get on Barbara and Phil's schedule there. Again, go to pathfinderchat.com. All right, let's dive into it. Here it is, a special edition with questions we pulled, some of our favorite questions from past episodes. Susan asks, what's better? Term life insurance, universal life, or whole life? Wow, that's a that's a kind of a loaded question because it depends on who you're asking. If you're asking a life insurance person, uh, Ben, what do you what which product do you think the life insurance person will recommend to you? What do you think? Ooh, um, whole life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> whole like life a whole insurance. lot of money. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of a lot of commissions involved with whole life insurance, and you know they have to make a living, of course. And I actually got my start in a business uh, in what we call the insurance wars, where it was, you know, whole life versus term insurance. But let's define some of these terms first off. Term insurance. Well, it's just pure insurance. It doesn't have any kind of a cash savings or a cash value. It really is the cheapest form of life insurance that you can purchase. You know, it's generally bought for a set term like one year, five years, 10, 15, 20 years or longer. And uh, after that period of time, uh, there's no more benefit. Then there's universal life, which is uh, really kind of a modification of whole life and term, kind of a, a mix. Uh, it's a life insurance policy that does have a cash value, but the interest rate paid on the cash value will fluctuate with the current interest rates in the market. So the idea here is that you do have a cash value. Uh, it's not as low as traditional whole life insurance uh, uh, interest rates would be. Uh, you get a, a more competitive rate on the cash value. And then there's finally whole life insurance and whole life insurance uh is what you pay for your whole life. That's why they call it whole life insurance. The cash value is fixed at a certain rate and that doesn't fluctuate. So being that my background is in life insurance, uh, that's how I got involved with the business was really from an educational standpoint. My philosophy has never been to combine life insurance with a savings plan. Yeah. So that's what universal and whole life insurance is. But purchase it the same way that you would purchase homeowner's insurance or auto insurance or medical strictly the lowest cost for the greatest amount of protection. And that really ends up being term life insurance. Now that's my bias. And I believe, and I've, I've stuck with that for 42 years. I'm going to continue to, to believe that. Now there are some exceptions and Barb will talk a little bit when I get done here with my explanation. The one example I typically use would apply to most families where uh, you would buy uh, $500,000 or more of term life insurance in order to create that immediate estate if the main uh, income earner dies. 
But if that income earner, the primary insurer, doesn't die and the years go by and the mortgage is being paid off, the kids are off on their own, college is being paid off, and they're accumulating uh, money in their 401ks or IRAs or retirement plan, what happens is that when they get out to be age 65, now they've got 500000 a million dollars in their retirement plans, which really takes the place of the life insurance, right? I mean, right. why buy life insurance anymore at that point if you really created your own estate yeah. by accumulating the cash? And so that particular concept is known as the theory of decreasing responsibility, where you start out with a high degree of liability because you're, you don't have anything uh, accumulated yet. But as time goes on, the life insurance is being replaced by cash or by the investments. And so one is replaced by the other. And that, in my opinion, has always been the most common sense approach to life insurance planning. You know, um, I remember the term, Phil. By uh, by term invested difference. Oh yes, by term invested difference. Right. That was pos- that was pro- uh, very popular for a long time. Yep. You know, and, the, and I had not ever seen much of a, a benefit either in whole life, like you're mentioning, Phil. In the past, it depends on the goals too. You know, I've it does. U- yes. I've usually used universal or term, or you know, sometimes with advanced uh, state planning strategies, maybe a combination of both. So, um, you know, but it depends on what it is you're using it for, but. Uh, have not done. I don't think I've ever done anything with whole life. Just because, for one reason, I don't like the idea of uh, paying on it your whole life. Right, right. You want to see those those premiums stop after a period of time. Yes. And, but I mean, yeah. Even you know, if if people are advanced uh, age, they may still have need for life insurance, and you know, cash value life insurance may be the way to go, especially if they have a lot of business liability. Um, and we could talk for a long time about different farm estates as an example. There could be tax liabilities involved there, or we may need to split the estate up upon the death of the parents and make sure everybody who has who is an heir has an interest in the farm, has an equal share. Uh, some of the only ways you can do that is with life insurance. Yeah, and you can actually have those set up too, as you know, Phil, but to where you're not paying on it your entire life too, or uh, you know, period of time, 10-year sure. plans. Mm-hmm. So then you're done and you have the coverage. Hey there, just a quick break from the podcast for a moment to tell you how Barb and Phil are assisting clients every day in the office with some effective tax savings opportunities under the latest Secure Act 2.0 legislation. If you want to find out how much you could save, give them a call and schedule a free 15-minute initial consultation. Call 815-399-9806 or go to pathfinderchat.com. That's pathfinderchat.com and schedule your visit with just a few clicks. We'll also put the contact info in this episode's show notes. Now, back to the show. All right, how about this one from Vicki? It's very likely that my husband and I will be getting a divorce within the next year or two. I'm already retired, Mm -hmm. and he'll be retiring in the next couple of years. How is this going to affect my retirement picture if we end up splitting our assets? Well, Vicki, it sounds like this isn't something that's going to be happening right now, which is kind of unusual. People get divorced. It's like, okay, we're we're, we're making way for this and we'll be done in, you know, six months or whatever. So um, since it's out there a ways, hopefully you can reconcile. And um, but if not, then I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. But a very good question on how to split assets. First of all, can you and your husband come to an agreement on splitting assets? That would be the ideal situation. Have you spoke with a good divorce attorney yet? Depending on the assets and home values, it may be split down the middle. It could be you end up with a home. He keeps retirement assets. It could be many different scenarios. All assets, meaning your home, if there's any other real property, bank accounts, investments, you know, uh, such as you know, retirement accounts, all of those are looked at during a divorce. 
and much will depend on the needs of the couple. Are there any underage kids? Assuming not since you're retiring and you make sure you work with an attorney who has your best interest. I've seen where couples can agree on splitting the assets and a divorce is pretty simple. Even if that's the case with you, I would seek out an attorney just to make sure that there isn't something you're missing. For example, the social security. You are allowed to collect social security benefits from your former spouse's record, and it doesn't have anything to do with what he collects. So that's if you're unmarried, currently unmarried, at least 62 years old, and you were married for at least 10 years. But just because you're allowed to collect doesn't mean you will. The rules have changed for social security quite a bit. And uh, now when someone files for benefits, social security looks at all available benefits for the filer and you get the highest benefits. It may be an ex-spousal, but it may be yours. Don't overlook a possible benefit from him. There's lots of questions when it comes to a divorce. Seek out legal advice and don't hurry into finalizing until you feel good about the outcome. Barb, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things we have found out is that the single biggest destroyer of wealth in America today is the divorce. Divorce, I would think. Yeah, sure. yeah. Besides the cost, you know, there's also the splitting of the, uh, the wealth. And then uh, people have to uh, realize that there's a tremendous cost to this. Uh, they, they have to stay in the workforce later, uh, cut their standard of living. I mean, there's just uh, so much downside to divorce. So we, we don't encourage it. Um, we want to see if people can work it out and, right. uh, and try to preserve what they've done throughout their lifetime. And uh, it's sad when, when it happens, but um, think twice about it. Well, we've actually talked to people too, Phil, um, that uh, that's the reason they're staying together. I mean, unfortunately, yes. that's, yeah. you know, just because of uh, the loss of assets, that is uh, why they aren't getting divorced. Well, that's, that's right. But you would hope that they would work on themselves sure. at the same time to try to work it out and, and make it uh, not just tolerable, but something that's, that's meaningful to them as well. Agreed. You know the stock market is unpredictable, but did you know that that volatility can wreak havoc on your retirement savings if you're not prepared? Don't leave your future to chance. Let Pathfinder Wealth Management help you navigate these turbulent waters. With over 70 years of combined experience and a fiduciary responsibility since 1996, they have the expertise to guide you through market ups and downs. Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky are dedicated to educating clients and empowering you to make informed decisions. To get in touch, book a 15-minute chat with them today by visiting pathfinderchat.com and take control of your retirement plan. Don't let market volatility derail your future. Visit pathfinderchat.com or visit the link in the description of today's show. Uh, our next question comes in from Samantha. She writes, unless something goes horribly wrong, we should be leaving a significant amount of money to our kids, but I can't decide if we should tell them about our plans now or just let it be a surprise. I'm certain they have no idea what our net worth is like. Oh, wow. Uh, of course, uh, Samantha, uh, this answer can vary from family to family. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer or right or wrong position on this. However, this is a very difficult question to answer unless we delve into family dynamics. And that's really kind of a, a sensitive topic for a lot of people. So we have to approach it very, very carefully when we talk to our clients. And so part of our educational approach is discussing estate planning with our, our clients and the advantages of it and to their heirs. So we get to ask a lot of questions because we want to give the assurances of two things. Number one, that their estate can be passed along efficiently to their heirs without a lot of costs, without a lot of problem in probate. And number two, that their legacy will be there for their children and grandchildren, free from loss of attack 
or loss or attack that they could realize uh, by what I call the predators. So here are some of the questions that I would probably want to ask before I could advise somebody about informing their children about uh, their estate, their nest egg, what they're going to get in the inheritance. Number one, uh, are any of your heirs receiving government subsidies such as SSI or SSDI, uh, which can jeopardize getting their inheritance? A lot of people don't realize that if their kids are on some type of government assistance, they could lose that through an inheritance. Number two, uh, are your children's marriages stable? This is really an interesting one because, you know, we always tell our clients, it's not your kids you have to worry about it's the outlaws. It's not the in-laws, it's the outlaws, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, it would be, it would be amazed how many people will tell us exactly what's going on in their kids' families and their kids' lives. You know, they're burying their soul to us. Uh, I almost feel like I'm a, you know, kind of a, a surrogate counselor there mm-hmm. for them. Uh, number three, have there been any bankruptcies or liens placed against your children? That can uh, jeopardize the inheritance as well. Number five, in this case, have we... Uh, how, how have these kids done financially on their very own? You know, have they been successful in saving money? Uh, have they been successful in putting money aside? Have they been good with their money? Uh, you know, are they extravagant? Sometimes we'll find that to be a case. Number six, how would you feel if your children lost their inheritance through a divorce or death of a spouse uh, or what we call unintentional disinheriting? So, you know, it's possible to lose an inheritance through a divorce proceeding. That's a possibility. Yeah. Or if you lose a child, let's say a child predeceases their spouse and, and then the surviving spouse gets remarried to somebody else, you know, you could actually see your inheritance that was given to your child go off outside of your bloodline. How would you feel if that happened? So, uh, you know, would the idea of, of a substantial inheritance serve to be a deterrent for their, the children becoming productive and financially successful on their own? That's another question. You know, if they know they're going to get a big payday at the end of the the time, uh, you know, will they become successful and productive on their very own? So we know from experience that it can be um, said that, you know, if, and this is not in every case, you know, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is going to be a case in, in most families, but, you know, if the kid didn't really make the money and they didn't manage the money, quite often what you can do is, is develop what we call a lottery mentality. Party and, time. Yeah. Yeah. The inheritance can be, uh, it's kind of like what we say, you know, what is the estate plan for a 25 year old? fast red and it's got to be convertible kind of a thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the same thing can happen there. So once we get a better idea of the family dynamics, we can more fully and advise Samantha or anybody else. Maybe it'd be okay. Bottom line is maybe it'd be okay to tell the kids outright what they'll be getting. You know, after all is said and done, we discuss this, that'd be okay. Uh, but maybe it's best to tell them that, you know, the parents are just merely redoing or updating their estate plan. That might be enough. You know, kids don't want to appear to be self-serving. So a lot of times they won't ask questions when they probably should. Mm -hmm. Or maybe uh, it would be best to have the inheritance held in a family trust as a tool, as a resource to protect them from the predators out there. And that's that way you're you're actually helping them. Of course, all these issues should be discussed with a competent estate planning attorney who can give them the final recommendation. Yeah, and I I think that's those are all good reasons, Phil. And and I agree with you that it's an individual choice. Because some people like to give to their kids while they're alive each year, mm-hmm. and some don't give anything to their kids, and then the kids will receive their inheritance upon the death of the second spouse. It also depends on the age of the kids. And there are some people whose kids are better off. They'll say, Barb, my kids are much better off and doing far greater and better than I yes. am. You know, they're, they're not going to need this money anyways. But I think it's still a good, I think it's a good idea to say something to your kids. Because the question is, will they receive a lump sum? Will they receive it in increments? 
Will it be held in trust for their lifetime? And those are all very different outcomes. Mm. And then I would ask Samantha, what is a significant amount? Which, of course, if we sit down, we would know that, but just not yeah, knowing. Yeah, it's all relative. Yep. Yes. I mean, significant yeah. could, to her could be something different to her, to me, to Phil, and it could be a couple hundred thousand, could be a couple million. But if you set up a trust, typically your kids are successor trustees, and that means you trust them enough to at least have a conversation about this. Yes, that's exactly right. All right, mm -hmm. let's go one more here from Rita. She says, I'm 61 years old and I've never had a financial advisor. If I've made it this far on my own, surely I can make it the rest of the, the way, right? Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Well, several questions, Rita, and maybe in the end, you don't need a financial advisor. Are you working? Are you married? Do you have kids? Grown kids I'm, I'm, is what I'm referring to. If you're working, when will you retire? So first of all, if you have a pension and social security, and that consists of your investments in their entirety for retirement, then you may not need an advisor simply because those both are stated amounts and there's nothing for you to change or choose differently. But secondly, if you don't have a pension and you have a tax deferred retirement account, like a 401k or a 403b, then I would encourage you to speak to a financial advisor. You'll need a retirement income plan at the very least. Mm -hmm. And remember that saving for retirement and withdrawing and living on that money for the rest of your life are two different things. When you're working, it's rather mindless to put money away and you don't even see it. You can't access it before you retire. And that's the easy part. Now, when you retire and where you're getting close to retirement, you not only need to know how long your money will last, but do you even have enough? An income plan has to provide income for you for 35 years. Do you have one? Uh, the other considerations are how is your money allocated? Risk is important in retirement, but what do you need to see for a return on your money to sustain you for all your retirement years? Also, what your expenses look like today? Well, those are going to be about two and a half times that amount in 30 years just for the same basket of goods. Inflation has to be taken into account in the calculations. Lastly, taxes. I can tell you that within thir with 30 years of uh, retirement ahead of you, taxes will increase during your retirement years. And how are you compensating for all that? I would suggest, Rita, that you seek out an advisor and just see what they have to say. You need another opinion. We'd be happy to chat with you. You schedule a 15-minute call at pathfinderchat.com. It never ceases to amaze me that people, um, you know, they, they really become overconfident, don't they? And, and the problem is that when they, when they enter into retirement, they don't know that they don't know something. Right. And, and so they don't know, as an example, um, if they, how much money they'll need for illnesses. Or they don't know what uh, what inflation will do to their purchasing power. Or they don't know how much insurance costs will go up. Or they don't know that uh, there's a high percentage of people uh, that will end up going to a nursing home and, and wipe wipe out uh, their holdings. So if nothing else, they need to know what they don't know. That's the biggest issue going on here is that they have to be informed. And so they're entering a new phase of life where they have no idea what's going to possibly be in horizon financially for them. You know, I think too, that um, if you think you're going to just retire and withdraw on those accounts as an, on an as needed basis, that's a, that's a disaster. That's oh, not is. a successful plan. Um, I just want to say that we have set up income plans for our clients. And if they follow those plans, they're successful. Um, but there's sometimes when you're withdrawing more and more, because you're really not paying attention to it. Take, taking more and more out other, other than what, you know, was de devised with a plan currently, that's not a sustainable plan. It's not. In fact, uh, one of the things that we we do, uh, and it's, it's, it's imperative that we do this, is that we have to review the plan every single year because things like taxes can change. 
right. and affect you know, their particular take-home money. And, and so unless you've got somebody who's going to stay on top of it with you all the time, these things will bypass you. And uh, you'll be asleep at the wheel, and all of a sudden you're you're missing that opportunity to really save and and to do the right, make the right decisions at the right time. Yeah, it's more than just investment management. Yep. yep. All right, that will do it for us here on the Retirement Pathfinder. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the podcast. We'd always encourage you to send in your questions. If you want to be featured on a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you just have a question that you want to ask Barbara and Phil directly, you can do so by going to pathfinderchat.com, pick out a time to meet with Barbara and Phil there, and boom, you're off and running. So thanks again for listening to the Retirement Pathfinder. We'll talk to you again soon. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.